Well, happy Mother's Day, everybody. And today is a bonus episode. I'm going to uh, post a sermon which Chalen preached back in March of this year. And although it wasn't specifically for Mother's Day, I think you'll understand why I chose it. It's a godly woman, and it's from Proverbs chapter 31. I thought this was a very good sermon on this issue. And I uh, hope you will enjoy that. And I uh, hope if you still have your mother with you today, that alive, that you will give her a hug and a kiss and let her know you love her. If you do not, keep her in your heart. And if you have a wife, you husbands out there, make sure you take care of your wife today. And children, obey your mama. All right, here's Chaylin. You may be seated. I'll do something a little different this morning than I've done in the past. I always typically read the scripture, but because of the ground to cover this morning, uh, we're going to look at it verse by verse and go. But be turning to Proverbs chapter 31 chapter 31 in the book of Proverbs, and we're going to be looking at the portrait of a godly woman, is what we're going to be looking at today. You know, and as I prepared this, I thought about something that kind of struck my memory. It was May the 16th, 2009, and I remember standing at a little white church, and I remember the bride turning the aisle, turning the back corner, they hadn't seen each other all day, and she began to walk down the aisle, and I remember the look on her face, the, I can tell you really everything about that day. I can tell you she glowed with happiness and she was just overwhelmed with joy. I would have been two, I was marrying me. <laughs> she was lucky. But no, in all seriousness, I never realized during that moment the importance of a godly wife. I never realized the importance of what God had gifted me with. I did not understand those vows that we will talk about in a little bit in, in, in just brief, but that is the good times, the bad times, the sickness, the health. I didn't realize the depth of that until years into marriage as we went, and she never left my side for anything. And we stuck together through everything. But I'm not going to read those verses. But we're going to read them as we go. And this is just really a glimpse of what this godly woman, this godly mother, this godly sister, this woman who fears Yahweh, fears the Lord, is about. And frankly, what we see that will unfold in these verses is not the picture that society, the world today, would dare paint for a woman. What do we think about when we think about a woman? There's a certain portrait that is painted for us, but is a far cry from this godly woman. And this, in Proverbs, isn't the first time that a woman has been talked about. It is first time. There is the adulteress who flatters with her lips. There's the adulteress who forsakes her husband, breaking that marriage covenant. There's the adulteress whose lips drip with honey as she seduces other men. The smooth-tongued adulteress who hunts for precious life. The noisy woman. The foolish woman. The rebellious woman. The quarrelsome woman. And this is only to name a few. But when we get into this passage... We see a godly woman. 
What is the context? Where is this coming from? Why, why is this important? So we're going to look at the first nine really quickly to set the context for the verses as we get into it. And it begins with the words of King Lemuel, the oracle which his mother taught him. It's simply just the mother speaking to her son, Lemuel, and don't ask because we do not know anything about him. We know nothing about this man. Only thing we know is that his mother somehow exercised some sort of uh, realm over him. And she is giving him this advice. We just know him to be a king. Perhaps he's a young king. Josiah took the throne at a very early age when the father passes away. Verse 2, what, oh my son, what, oh my son of my womb, my son of my vows. You are literally the son born out of my womb. You are the son of the vow, of the covenant that I made before God. You are the son of my love. What do I wish to tell you? What wisdom do I wish to impart to you? Do not give strength to women or your ways that, or the ways that destroys kings. That is abstain from sexual immorality. Remember Solomon? They made him drift into a foreign religion. Kings in that day typically took harems with other countries that they would form an alliance that would help them. But she's saying do not do this. Do not do this at all. And then she, verse 4 it is not for kings, O Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine or rulers to desire strong things. That is just simply saying stay away from that which dulls your judgment, which dulls your senses. And then she gives more advice as she goes. And she, verse 8, she says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of the unfortunate. Speak for those who cannot defend themselves. The, speak for those who cannot defend themselves. Otherwise, have... Good character. Have good morals. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the afflicted, the needy. Be a person of integrity. A person of honesty. Be a person that is life, is the totality of truth. The life is of that of righteousness. And then in verse 11, beginning in verse 10, but 10 is the introduction. So really, the 22 verses that follow after verse 10, they each begin with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it goes in order with the Hebrew alphabet. And why is that important? Why, why is that something we should look at? Because it creates an acrostic. It creates something easy for them to remember and for us to remember, anybody that knows Hebrew, for to remember. And so basically what happens is it becomes something when you are looking for that godly person, that godly woman, there is an easily memorized way to go about it. So we're going to divide this into three things. Verses 11 through 17, her love for her family. Her love for her family in verses 11 through 17. Her love for community in verses 17 through 25. That is her love for community. 17 through 25. Then the remainder, 26, for, uh, 26 through 31, is her love for Yahweh. Her love for the Lord. But verse 10 begins with an introduction. And it begins in this statement. An excellent wife who can find. For her worth is far above jewels. It's sort of this 
rhetorical question. She's a rarity. She's hard to find. Uh, the answer is really simply no one as she gives this example. It is hyperbole, this story. But it shows an exclamation of the awe and at the cherished nature of a godly woman's worth. Of a godly woman's worth to that husband, to that family. And it doesn't mean that she does not exist. I want you to understand that a godly wife, what is a godly wife? An absolutely precious gift. But where is that precious gift from? God. It is a precious gift that only God can provide. Listen to Proverbs 18, verse 22. He who finds a wife, who, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And it calls her excellent. It says that she is excellent. She has valor. She has strength. She has strength in her work. Just as you unfold this, take an example of the length of her workday as she will go through this. From sunup to sundown, she works. Her worth is precious. It, it says that it is, uh, her worth is far above jewels or rubies, as the King James puts it. She is precious beyond absolute compare. But this is not meant to set her or set this godly woman as a commodity. Uh, I want to set the historical context here just a little bit. The, there was in those ancient times arranged marriages and they would have what was called the bride price. And this bride price was paid at the engagement. And it was paid to either the bride's family or it was paid to the bride herself. But this price, this worth that we're talking about in relation to that bride price is figurative. Her worth does not come from her wealth. Her worth does not come from the wealthy inheritance that she may get or from the price that the groom would be paying. There is no virtue in costing a lot. There is no virtue in being expensive. The point is rather that this woman of strength, this woman of valor, is truly priceless, and money cannot buy her. She is simply off the monetary charts. There is no monetary chart in the world today that can describe the worth of a godly woman, the worth of a godly wife. Think about it in the terms of wisdom. When we, we, when we read about Scripture, or wisdom in Scripture, can Scripture be bought? Job talks about it as more precious than beaten gold. The Proverbs says that wisdom is better than rubies. No value can match it. This wise, godly woman is precious. The whole poem, the whole poem is showing the value of this excellent woman. She is wise. She is valuable. You remember the story of Abraham and Isaac? Abraham sends the servant to far off lands to find a bride. He finds Rebekah. Read the story. It is amazing. This wife is so precious that he, that he sent to far off land. Now I've talked about the wife. I'm going to add this little caveat for the men. Do not think you're above anything. 
Do not sit there with a swelled up chest and think we're easy to find. Proverbs verse tw- uh, chapter 20, verse 6. A trustworthy man who can find one, essentially. Who can find a trust? We're not above it. We're no better. But then now look, we're going to get into the love of her family, verses 11 through 16. The heart of her husband trust in her. The heart of her husband trust in her. Because he trusts her. Because there is trust there. He is free to go about his business for providing for the family. He is free to go about the business of of providing the home with all the necessities that it needs. And while he is away, while he is not at home, there is zero worry of any reckless spending, reckless management of the household. What is the most important relationship in the home? I understand that our God relationship, but outside of our relationship with God, what is the most important? It is that of the husband and the wife. Why? The kids will watch you. The kids will model that. When they grow up, they will see how mom has treated dad, how dad has treated mom, and they will begin to look for, they will begin to model themselves after that. We should be role models. We should be models. And this text, so lovely that it begins with the most important relationship, that of a husband and a wife. But this husband that trusts in her, his mind is at ease. He feels comfort. His burdens are relieved. There's a sense of comfort, like I said, when he's away, that the assets of the home are protected. When he goes away, he has absolute confidence in her integrity. She cares for all their interests when he's away. He trusts her to care for the home. He trusts her to care for the children. He trusts her to care for all the responsibilities at home. He is not jealous because she is simply trustworthy. Now, I want you to understand these marriages during this time were historically prearranged, as I had said. These people, couple, really don't know each other. They don't know a lot about each other. And John MacArthur so eloquently stated that it is that in some readings you will see evidence that the husbands, when they left, literally locked up everything in a box. That way the home assets were protected. It would be the same today as we took all the money, took all the credit cards, and took all access to the bank accounts with us as we went because we didn't trust the spouse. But this husband trusted her. He could come back and come back to, to, to nothing if the wife was untrustworthy. She could have spent it all frivolously. She could have spent it all on unnecessary things. But however, this woman of character far exceeds this. She is above even thinking about doing something to harm the home. She has a deep-seated love for our family. She is a good steward. She loves the family. And she cares for the resources that provide for that family. Those resources are important to her. This woman is wise. She is frugal. 
She is calculated about the resources that are available to her. See, this woman wants to increase her husband's trust. And when you increase trust, this couple, you, myself, you will have a long-lasting relationship that is built on truth and trust and not falsehoods. If I could give you a word of advice with it. Never breach trust. Once trust is breached, there is always doubt. Never breach trust. It is of utmost importance. But interestingly, this text, there's one more text roughly in the book of Judges uh, that speaks of trust outside of trust in the Lord. But I want to read Psalm 118 verses 8 and 9. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord, that is Yahweh, than to trust in princes. She fears the Lord and they have a trusting relationship. Otherwise it tells us to trust only in the Lord. And then the second half of that verse. And he will have no lack of gain. He will not lose anything that he has, anything that he's worked for, anything that the family has garnered. He never gives a place to even thinking about losing these resources. And this woman is described in the New Testament in the writings of the Apostle Paul. In the writings of the Apostle Paul, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 14. Therefore, I want you younger widows to get married, bear children, and here is this woman, keep house. The oikodespotes, she is to command. She is to give leadership of the household. She is in the direct uh, director of the household. She manages the home. This woman is in charge. She is the ruler of the house. She oversees the assets of the house, the relationships in the home. And he, as the leader, fully trusts her. He does not cast doubt upon her. She, in return, and if you have this, consider yourself blessed, never abuses the trust. He doesn't have to cheat monetarily or any way, shape, form because she has done something to break that trust. She doesn't have to cover it up. Then verse 12, she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She repays his trust with good. This is the totality of her life. Her commitment to her husband's well-being is true. But not only that, her concern or her worry about her husband's well-being is consistent. She worries about her husband's well-being. She worries in the good times, the bad times, in the peaks, in the valleys, in sickness and in health. That's the vows I was talking about. You remember when you stood with your wife holding hands and you give the vows. What would part you? Only death would part you. She repays that trust well. She, her love for this husband and his should reciprocate. Is pure, is powerful, is devoted. She is joyful. 
and she is happy, and her husband is these as well. She is joyful. He is happy. She lives for him, but she, like him, protects him. Look at for a moment. I want to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to read down through verse 22 through the remainder here. And it's a very familiar passion, passage written to, the, to this circular, circular letter during Ephesus at this time. And it says, Watch, be subject to your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, just as Christ is also head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, also wives ought to be, give themselves, or to their husbands and everything. Husbands, here's important, listen to this husbands. Love your wives just as Christ. How much did Christ love the church? He died. He gave his life and shed his blood for the church. That's the love that we men should possess for our wives. He also loved the church and gave him up for her and so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her, washing her by the water with the word, and he might present himself, the church, in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but she would be holy and blameless. That's that's imputed righteousness of Christ. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, who loves his own wife as himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we, church, are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and shall be joined with his, to his wife, and, to the, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I speak with, with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you should also love his own wife as himself and the wife must see it that she respects even her husband is there importance on these relationships absolutely but she will do him good and not evil all the day just look at it verse 23 this goes along with verse 12 her husband is known in the gates her husband is known in the gates and and her husband who has this Sets in the gates where there is decision-making processes, where there are things that are done concerning the community, and this man is known. He is known as the husband of this godly wife, of this godly woman. And then, verse 13. Now, when we get into verse 13 through verse 24, it gets a little clouded because it's very historical in nature. So we've got to go back in time a little bit to understand this. So we're going to kind of move through these. She looks for wool and flax and works <clears throat> her hands in delight. She's a homemaker. She is someone who has taken care of the home in this way during that time, during what that ancient time called for. And we're going to try to understand them that way. She doesn't go out looking for thread. When you're going to make a garment, you sew the threads together, you have it. But she, here, looks for the raw material to spin it into thread. She begins from scratch, if you will, with the raw material. Other translations, other ways it could be translated, that the willingness of her hands or with the delights of her hands. She desires to work. 
She desires to provide for the family, to help in the process of the daily relationships in the family. She is not like that sluggard that is mentioned in Proverbs 21, verse 25. She is not like that. And later in this passage, we're going to see her take the raw material. We're going to see her take it and spin it into thread, make the garments, make the beddings for the household. But this is her life. She's not lazy. She has devoted herself to her family. She is the one whose love for her husband is so strong, so consistent, that all of her life has been in perfect trust, or all of his life has been in perfect trust of her. He's a better man because of her. And if you don't think that, you're ridiculous. We all are better men because of our wives if she's godly. Every single one of us. There is no exception. She's focused on this home. She's full of energy with regards to that home. She delights at it. With her hands, she makes the clothes that keeps them warm in the winter. That's scarlet. But that fine linen that they'll talk about keeps them cool in the summer. It all comes from the joy of her heart. She loves her family. It is from the goodness of her very heart. And then in verse 14, she is like a merchant ship. She is like merchant ship. She brings food from afar. This does not apply that she's into international trade. Nor is the writer comparing her to a ship. Nobody would be that. Careless in thinking. We'd like to go home with our wives. But what she is saying, they ate a diet that was very localized. They eat it, they grew it. It's that simple. Or it was grown somewhere in close proximity to them. In this day and time, we can go to the local grocery store and get a wide variety of cuisine. We can, we can have, we can go to a restaurant and eat a variety of different cuisines from different countries. This woman had to travel long distances. If she wanted to provide a meal that was outside of the norm for the family, if she wanted to provide a meal that was a delicacy, that was something that they didn't have very often, she had to travel to gather the goods to be able to prepare this meal. And she does that. She travels these distances, gathers this food that she can have a different meal. And she takes joy in giving this meal, this delicacy to her family. Frankly, she probably loved providing these creative meals. It delighted her heart. And then verse 15, she rises while it's still night. And gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. This day starts early. Because it says she rises while it's still night. They begin work at dawn. So she's going to have breakfast prepared. We can go to the refrigerator or the pantry and get just add water pancakes. We can scramble up eggs very quick. There are things that we can make happen in a very short amount of time. She had to make this whole meal from scratch. So if they begin work at dawn, how much earlier does she prepare making the food? 
hours before. Because they eat immediately. Then they eat the breakfast. They go to work. And when it says food, she prepares the food. Now listen to this. This is interesting. It really means that prey of plunder. This woman is sort of a lioness that is providing for her young. Those lionesses will provide, they will kill, they will provide for their young. And providing for the household is one of the basic duties that we are all assigned. We are all to provide that for the families. It is of utmost importance. And most likely here, the way it words, the way it's written, the maidens get a fixed portion, the family does not, that indicates there is a wealthy family. This would have been a large home, large amounts of people, perhaps a state, and she is feeding the household, she is tending to the servants, she is tending to them all, she would have had to prepare it early. She does not have the refrigerator to go to. And then verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Uh, this sends a little bit of jolt to our brains, if you will. We kind of got to wrestle with this one just a little bit. She simply sees the field and purchases it. And in her eyes, in her view, this is going to add to the productive productivity of the family. What is her most important? She's worried about the family. She's worried about the household. It's going to add to the economic value of the family. But where in the world did she get the money? Look at verse 24. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. She supplies these belts to the tradesmen, that is the Canaanites, that is the Phoenicians. These are the seagoing people, the people that take the cargo in the east, haul it to the west, and she's selling them garments, belts, clothing. This lady's busy. She has sort of a little industry going here. And she buys this field and plants it. Doesn't indicate that she herself planted it. Perhaps the maidens did. Because scripture also tells us that Solomon built the temple. But we know that was Solomon had the temple built. And then in verse 25. Or I'm sorry. Uh, verse 17. Now we move from her love from the family that we just covered. And now we move to her love for the community. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Is she this super buff workout? No. She could be because there's a lot of work being done, but she shows physical strength by the vast stamina that she produces. She's up before dawn. We'll see in a little bit she's up after dark. This vast stamina that comes, but she girds herself. She tucks that garment into her tunic that she would wear and she prepares for the battle of the day. She prepares for the work that is coming. She is intense. She has tenacity toward her goals. She is a busy woman. She's enterprising. She's full of energy. She's physically healthy. And physically, she is strong. But it's really more than that. She is strongly committed to her duties as a mother, as a wife. But when she does this, she works for the good of others. She is self-sacrificing. This godly woman, this godly mother is self-sacrificing. Her strength is from giving herself to others, to helping others. Verse 18, she senses that her gain is good and her lamp 
does not go out or night. She senses her taste. She knows that the wares are good. She's not just this boring workhouse who her day is laborious. She's not that. But this goodness, this doing good for others, doing it because she knows it's good, that is her motivation. Once again, she seeks to provide for the family. She clothes them. She feeds them. She cares for all their needs. And not only that, but it brings her great joy to the family. She knows the benefit of what she gets back. See, her husband adores her. Her children will revere her. Then it says her lamp does not go out. When the dark sets in, she's still working. Perhaps spinning the thread, perhaps spinning the flax and wool to make the thread, perhaps spinning the thread to make garments. But this is a good mother, this is a good woman, this is a good wife. She is simply caring for the family. In verse 19, she stretches out her hands to distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. This echoes back to verse 13. She's spinning that raw material into cloth. She cuts it, sews it, makes it into a garment, and it's once again all motivated from the goodness of her heart. She is not afraid of the snow for her household. Verse 21. And I know we skipped a verse. We'll get back to it. For all of her household are clothed with scarlet. When winter arrives, when the cold temperatures arrive, and it does get cold in Jerusalem from time to time, there are very chilly nights. And when it gets cold, she is not afraid. She, she is prepared them and prepared the proper attire. And it says that she clothes them with scarlet, this darker material that would help to absorb the heat. And it does, like I said, snow every so often in Jerusalem. And they would take the house and they would heat the house with a centralized pan full of coals. But it would just be irradiating heat throughout the house and it would be, still be cool in this house. So she literally is making the clothes to make sure that they are kept warm. They are cared for during these months, during these cold times. But also she takes scarlet. She hasn't forgot the beauty. Scarlet is this beautiful, lovely color. And she has not forgotten the beauty in it. Verse 22. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen, fine linen and purple. She has not forgot the beauty. Some may think as you read this, we read all the work that she's doing. She may be quote unquote a little rough around the edges. But this woman has clearly not forgotten the beauty. But there's more to that than though. It says right here, it says she makes coverings. I want you to understand those coverings. Those coverings are the beddings. Once again, I'm going to hearken it to today just a little bit. We go to the store, we can buy anything that we want. The comforter, the mattress, we can buy anything that we want. This time, during this time, this woman has to make everything from the mattresses to the pillows. She has to make everything that involves in making the bed. And this lady, this woman, this, she has, makes coverings for herself. She is making the bedding for the household. She's making the fine linen. That is the coarse, very soft, smooth material that's tightly spun together. This woman is refined. This woman is beautiful. But not only that, in verse 20, she is the woman that Paul speaks about. In verse 20, she extends her hand to the poor and stretches out her hands to the needy. 
That's the one that Paul writes about and says they care for the widows. They care for the orphans. She has compassion for those that are not in her home. She has compassion that stretches on the outside of the home. Verse 24. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. She simply sells what she produces. This woman is not someone that will meet. She's a model. She's the goal. But it still should be what we look for. And then lastly, the third point, closing in verses 25 to 31, we're going to see her respect for Yahweh. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she smiles at the future. Her clothing is strength and dignity. This is character. Her character is good. She is a woman that possesses good character. She is clothed with spiritual strength. She is a character that does not waver. The character does not vacillate. It is not up and down. It is not peaks and valleys. She has a character that is level. She has a character that does not waffle when times get tough. But she has dignity. This woman is elevated above the common. This woman is elevated above what is common. She is a cut above the rest of the women. Now here's where I get to brag a little bit. I married a woman that is a cut above. Honestly, she is so far ahead of me that I'm not sure we're not unequally yoked. <laughs> she is that much a cut above me. And she does what we have talked about from the very beginning. We are a better man because of the strong, godly woman that holds us up. That is the simplistic nature. But her dignity... She is above the standard, above the common class, above the common virtue. We're not talking about monetarily. We're talking about her character. She is above it. She is not like other women. She is, her character is dignified. She is just a cut above. And then it says she smiles at the future. When you're a godly person, that's what you can do. When you are in Christ. When you are saved, you can look at the future, no matter what it brings, and smile. Because the end result is us in glory. And you can smile at it. Your family, your spiritual consistency, your spiritual dignity, when you live a godly life, you can look to the future and smile. In verse 26, she opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. When she speaks, her family listens. Her character is credible. And it says teaching. That is the Torah. That is the law of kindness on her tongue. What does she teach? What is taught in the household? Uh, I want to back up, not back up, but I want to divide this just a little bit. As the father of the home, myself, I am concerned about certain things. I am concerned about principles with my daughters. I am concerned about their Christology. I want them to have the right theology in place to understand things. But then there's the flip side of that coin. Jamie is softer. She's more gentle. She teaches them the loving kindness. She shows the example of mercy, compassion, the meaning of grace, and honesty. 
we worry about different modes that we teach in the house. And then verses 27 through 29. She looks well to the ways of her husband and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excelled them all. See why she smiles at the future? She has made an investment with her family that garners a great return. As the children grow up, they revere her. They honor her. They hold her in high esteem. As a mother, is there a greater reward than your children looking at you that way? Her husband praises her. Many daughters have done nobly, but you exceed them all. You're the greatest. You're the best I ever had, was. They broke the mold when they made you. There is none better than you. If you don't tell your wife that, you're really missing out. You really are. You should tell your wife how important she is to you. And when the children have kids of their own, they will desire to raise the kids as they were raised. They will desire to raise the family as they were taught to raise the family. She and us alike and you alike should, are constantly before your kids' eyes. She has provided guidance, counsel, discipline, a godly example. She's hardworking, self-sacrificing, and she lives it out. But then in verse 31, talks about her appearance just a little bit. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands and let the works praise her at the gates. Two phrases there. Charm is deceitful. That's form or figure. Beauty is vain. That's the face and the facial features. In the big scope of things, they mean nothing. Beauty of form is deceptive. Beauty of face is meaningless in terms of character. Form and face have no real value. But the one who fears the Lord, she is praised. If you are a young person today, this is the advice I would heed to you. Look for a man or a woman who has fear and reverence before the Lord. Proverbs 9 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. Wisdom can only come from God. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I hope all of you possess a godly wife or a godly husband. I have been blessed beyond compare. And I think we need to show respect for our spouses if we are. I am lucky. My wife is like a fine wine. She gets better with age, both spiritually and everything. I am truly blessed to call her my wife. And as husbands, as wives, you should never be afraid to tell your spouse that. But if you aren't a godly wife, if you are not a godly husband, perhaps it's because you are not truly resting in the salvific work of Christ. 
That is for you to decide. Cry out to him. If you know you're in your sins, cry out to him and ask for his saving work to be done. But as we take a moment of silence, reflect on it, and then our musicians will close us out.